And the Oscar goes to... talking about a bear turning on a I'm gopro sure. i should have I sh- said you need to stop what you're saying right now and turn this camera or not turn this camera turn this fucking recording on there was in fact a bear who got a gopro turned it on put it in his mouth it was really funny <laughs> i also would have asked you to repeat the line but actually you know what mm. i can i can ask you to repeat what pitbull said at the concert because <laughs> we did talk what? about this concert on this podcast on the f9 episode so you've now gone to the pitbull concert i've gone to the pitbull concert and you have heard him say things that no other human being has ever said (laughs) yeah um first he said he wanted us all um first of all he said that we were all one race the human race and i'm mr worldwide (laughs) and then and then mr worldwide towards the end said now now first I want you guys to leave here trilingual you know English you know the language of dance and you know the language of love and as I said to you he speaks Spanish why wouldn't that be included and then he like paused and then he was like and some of you will be quadlingual you should tell me that part that's the twins what's the fourth language is it spanish Spanish. yeah okay um what if he said something else like um being whimsical or something (laughs) it was was so funny honestly pitbull was very charismatic and you know what iggy azalea was too iggy azalea put on a great fucking show let me turn off the zoom right now let me exit the zoom we were shocked we were shocked um and oh pitbull some of especially in the first half of the concert, his dancers, I was like, this is directly inspired by Fosse. Like, I'm I'm not kidding. His dancers like really did some real Fosse. I was like, I, I have seen every Bob Fosse moment. I am Pippin's biggest stan. I was like, you are doing some Bob Fosse moves and you know what? I respect it. Thank you so much. They were hot. Nice to know that in between, you know, shaking your ass to, um, Kaye Ocho, we have mm. some jazz hands. <laughs> Truly. And like the the like back snaps. Like I was like, okay. was there any chair work? No, but uh there was a moment that I was like, this is literally with you from Pippin. Like I was like, y'all are having like an orgy on stage. We didn't realize how many of Pippin's songs were like about threesomes and group sex. Oh yes. <laughs> so many of them. I was like, okay. Did he, you know, did he perform the song where he rhymes Kodak with Kodak? Uh, yeah, I think so. Good for him. He is a harbinger of chaos, mm-hmm. not dissimilar to the love witch. Oh my God. A chaos queen in the good for her cinematic universe. A witch, you know, she is a love witch. She's your ultimate fantasy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess if your fantasy involves <laughs> having sex with her and then immediately dying, <laughs> Like immediately she kills you. Yeah. And we're talking about the love witch uh, because this is a podcast um, called Blessed Picture where we explore underrated or off the wall movies. We think we're, we think are totally blessed. Mm-hmm. Let me get that clean. Let me try that again. I actually yeah. want to try again for once. I want to put more effort wow. in. So 
Okay. This podcast is called Blessed Picture. It's a podcast where we explore underrated or off the wall movies we think are totally blessed. I'm your host, Shelby Mooring. I'm your other host, Sky Payne. We are in the third week of our Halloween series. Technically kind of our last because I don't think you could qualify Venom as a Halloween movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we are covering Venom too. Just going to put that out there. need everybody to know that. I, because... I assume that people would have assumed that we would have. Yeah. We, we, it has to be done. We made a commitment last year and we're making a commitment now. And you know what? I think it does kind of qualify though, because the subtitles let there be carnage. And I mean, carnage is very Halloween, you know, like very Halloween, not the character, just like carnage in general is a very Halloween-y concept. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Although the the wigs are putting Woody Harrelson in, it's like, who's he dressed up as? It does look like Party City. He, he did actually go to Party City to get some of his looks, I believe. So yeah. So fitting, a very fitting um, character for Halloween and Halloween on this podcast. So that's what we're doing. We're talking the love witch. Um, but before we do that, we do have to talk about our blessed movies of the week. Sky, would you like yes. to go first? Yes. Um, so I haven't watched a ton of movies this week, but, and some of them that I watched, I was like disappointed in. Um, yeah, that's I'm, the worst. I'm, I'm looking at you, many saints of Newark. Um, who, um, but one once again, I, I ask, sorry, once again, I have to ask how many minutes of fucking screen time does John Bernthal have in this movie? I have to ask, and nobody can give me a straight answer other than not enough. And you know Bobby, what? It's pretty low. And can I tell you many Saints of New York was so boring and I was just like, it was like two hours and something minutes. And I was like 35 minutes and I was like, oh, I have to be towards the end. And I was like, John Barry Paul hasn't been in this at all. And then I realized I had an hour and a half. <laughs> so if I sit was- down and watch this movie and I'm like, what? An hour in, is he going to be there? Is he even going to yeah, show up? I-, I think he comes in at like around like 45, 50 minutes. And d- does he die in this movie? I couldn't even tell you. I, don't even- I left my brain. <laughs> Well, and that's not a spoiler because Johnny Boy is obviously dead in The Sopranos. I don't think so. I feel like I would have remembered that. But honest to God, it was so boring. And I like came home after a complete high of watching Venom, Let There Be Carnage in the movie theaters. And I came home and I was like, I'm just going to watch Many Saints tonight. And I, I wasn't like asleep at all, but I do feel like maybe at times it lulled me into, um, Pat Dubeck state of sleep. <laughs> yes, that's how I, I felt about many Saints of Newark. Um, it, it was I a also, movie. I also sure posted a, movie. a picture. Yeah, everything I've read about it, it's like people are like, it's fine. And then I hear people like, disastrous this is the worst fucking movie they could have made for this shit, you know. And then it's like, my favorite thing though is that John Magaro gives like I put him on my best performances list yeah. last year for first cow and he gives a very beautiful very subtle performance and then like just I haven't even seen the movie but like the set picture I've seen of him as Silvio is him going you That's know doing a very Silvio it. face and I'm like this is an absolute ham sandwich of a performance this is the duality of man honestly yeah Inside of you, there are two wolves. One is made of salam, and then the other one is made of like a very delicious biscuit that comes from a cow that like only one French man has access to. Yes. 
Um, so my actual blessed movie of the week, a movie that I really enjoyed, I had never seen it before, was John Carpenter's Starman, yeah. which is Jeff Bridges as like an alien himbo. <laughs> yes. Really? And really. And Karen Allen is fucking great in it. And it's just like this weird, I was like, I love this deeply weird little film about this alien coming to earth and taking the like form of her like dead husband. <laughs> like truly wild and it's like a road trip movie I was like this is a road trip alien himbo movie and I had a great time I had my qualms with the story Um, for sure for sure um and Jeff Bridges is doing an accent that I don't know entirely works well I believe it's alien (laughs) well for 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 the movie i don't i don't know sure. as an it as makes... an acting choice i don't know if it necessarily works it doesn't <laughs> no but like the thing about it is that i hear this accent i see this performance and i don't i don't think he's terrible in it by any means it's no. just a wild choice and then i'm like oh he was nominated for an academy award that shocked me shocked me like hello all right i think the academy watched that and they saw him naked and they they were and they saw him tenderly you know make love to karen allen in that movie and they went yeah sure why not we'll give him yeah we'll give him something um what's your blessed movie of the week well mine is in the complete opposite direction mm. so i also like hadn't watched a lot of movies um since our last recording and i needed something so i decided at 9 a.m. on on a um, Saturday that I would watch the movie Videodrome. <laughs> 1983, directed by one sick man named David Cronenberg. And I don't know what the fuck I watched. I don't know what was <laughs> happening at any point. I think the movie is very much trying to make a point. I mean, it tells you it several times, but like watching it, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. But the movie is basically trying to say like media is this all consuming sort of, you know, TV is this all consuming sort of medium um, provides too much stimulation to people Um you know, and opens us up to, to possibly dangerous situations, I Mm -hmm. guess. I don't know. Like, it's not quite like TV is turning us into like, you know, uh, cheap or anything, but it's kind of doing that. The problem is that any message that's there is then immediately obscured by the fact that there is like a, a, a gun that looks like a dick that comes through a TV. Um, and the TV, James Woods fully just like fucks a TV. I mean, like, wow. I mean, that's cinema, baby. Yeah. So if you really want to torture yourself, um, follow up Videodrome with the movie Society. I I won't be doing that, but you know, good luck to anybody yeah. who does. It will recreate the same feeling that I had when I watched Barry Keown eat spaghetti in Killing of a Sacred, of a sacred Deer. What a yeah. What a moment in film history. I couldn't eat spaghetti for months after it. that. I will never forget that. No. When, and when I love he, spaghetti. So that was hard when, for me. When he shows up in a film, you know, he's just going to be a little freak. He's a little, oh yeah. He's a little freak. He's a little troublemaker. <laughs> he's a little freak. He's a little scamp. <laughs> a little dirty scamp. <laughs> Speaking of little dirty scamps. <laughs> the love witch. Not really. There's not, not really like 
well there is one dirty scamp there's one dirty scamp he's the he's the coven leader mm-hmm. gayen i think yeah. his name is gayen yes okay i just couldn't i couldn't remember how to pronounce it because then i kept confusing it with the green knight mm. which everybody the like gawain there was everyone gawain there no was no clear there Garwin. was also no clear pronunciation in that movie like everybody said his name like i heard gawain i heard gawain i heard like garwin like i was garwin. like what's happening yeah i'm like well, i'm like do, do we need an ap style guy i would here? like one <laughs> like why why can't anyone pronounce his name the same way but gayan he's a little he's a little freak and but this movie isn't about him though he's just one no, character a sea of characters but yeah so we're talking about the love witch um directed by anna biller a movie that you might have seen because you like movies or you might have seen on your tumblr dashboard because yes it was or your, was or your big film movie. twitter every i do feel like when people like watch this movie for the first time now like i saw this like years ago but i feel like if people watch it now you'd be like oh that's where that screen cap was from oh yeah okay like it's like very i mean like i went as the love witch for halloween last year i also did that but not last year i did it a few years ago when i needed a quick costume to like go to work in and needed one to like go to school in so i just threw on a black 60s sort of shift dress and then just like blue eyeshadow blue eyeshadow i think it's l'oreal color studio color tattoo it has the longest fucking name in the world in the teal the tattoo shadow has never done me wrong. That was the color I was always using for that look. And it served me well. I mean, it served me well. and rewatching this, I was like, wow, I need to like go out and change my wardrobe completely. This is I not know. a good time to be watching this. The looks in this film are like incredible. So the concept for those who have never seen this movie, it was made in 2016. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it is incredibly stylized, very aesthetic 1960s vibes, but there are also cell phones. So it's not set in the 1960s, which anachronistic. A part of me was like, is that a choice or is it a choice like necessitated only by budget restrictions and other sort of restrictions related to making a film that's set in a period piece. Cause like it literally tracks until you see the cars on the street and you see Trish pull up in like a Volvo or whatever. And you're like, yeah. hold on a second. And the cell phone thing is so minimal that I literally forgot about it because like it didn't register until I read later that like, oh yeah, there's like a modern cell phone yeah. to in this movie. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Trish calls her. That's weird. Cause I like completely forgot about it in the moment this um movie feels like it's really like an exploitation film from like the 60s is like what mm-hmm. it feels like to me like it really is like a sexploitation film like in the first five minutes you like see a flashback to like a full-ass orgy a satanic yeah. orgy yeah Crazy. and i i i do I, yeah, no. And like the, it's so interesting because the vibe is so correct. So then it's like, when you see those other things, it's like, yeah, because there, there seems to be a swearing up and down across everything I've read about this movie that like, that was intentional, that they were supposed to have the cars there, the, the iPhone supposed to be there. And I'm like, I definitely think it was a case of, we have a small budget 
And it's a lot easier to recreate clothes and furniture for a year than it is to get clearance on old cars for a Mm -hmm. set time and date when we don't know if we'll still have access to them later. Yeah. And then like, you know, how, and, and then I also think like her calling her over a cell phone, you know, that's kind of a plot convenience. So then it's like, well, we have, I'm cheesier. we've said it now in basically like a, an ambiguous time, but it's like looking more like modern time than anything. Um, so then she can make a phone call, you know, over her cell phone rather than like having to pick up a vintage phone, whatever. And that's yeah. just interesting to me. I also, you know, I feel like it unintentionally also kind of sends a message because this movie is like filled with messages about gender and things like that. And it's very feminist in that way. But also it, this almost sort of adds another layer of like, whether intentional or unintentionally that it's like, oh, it's technically a modern time, but it looks like an old time. So it's basically mm-hmm. saying gender roles, you know, societal expectations of gender roles and performance, like haven't changed. Like, oh, you know, like, is that what's mm-hmm. happening? It almost feels like it. It really does. It's so interesting. I, this movie, I watched it for like the first time, like at my friend's house. Cause she was like, I'm obsessed with this movie. I think you will yeah. love it because it feels very on brand for you. And there's no ghosts in it. So you're and there's no ghosts. And it's, it's truly like one of my favorite Halloween movies. I've watched it like every year since because it, it's so brilliant. And like in a very like oddly understated yet very overstated way. It's like there's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like somehow both all at the same time. And it's so impressive that this was just like, you know, her first real feature She's out here. Yeah, she has one other film called Viva, which I have not watched, um, but I believe has been on Criterion at various points. Um, and I would like to watch it just because I love Same. the visuals of this movie and I love yeah, everything and like, she's trying to do with it. But this is like her first real like breakout. And like, yeah. I, it's so, so, so impressive. And it I really wish is, people had seen it. Yeah. And I, it really is more interesting when you really consider the fact that she has such a hand in so much of the film at least claims to have you know a hand in so much of the film um you know in the sense that it's like not only is she directing but it's like she's editing she's written the movie she's you know doing production design stuff she you know she hand tufted a fucking rug you know she's doing technically costume design gathering a bunch of costumes um and i even read about like the the sort of lengths that she went for that stuff so like specifically when it came to the sets and the costumes Mm. obviously we want to emulate this like classic hollywood vibe the 60s specifically and early 70s a little bit in there as well um so it's like it became like a years-long process of doing this and so she's like looking for vintage furniture at salvage stores I mean, if she couldn't find something that she tried to recreate it best she could, um, costume design, you know, very similar. So she found like gun sacks, dresses from the sixties and seventies. Um, and some she had to make herself. So like in some cases, if she found vintage clothing with fabric and colors that isn't sold anywhere, she needed to rebuild as needed. Which is um, like so difficult and impressive that she's yeah. able to do this. And in other cases, she had to like make pieces from scratch um, and she also spent over a year working full-time designing and building the Renaissance costumes for the mock wedding scene. So like she was really 
all in on that. It also took six months to make the pentagram rug, the hand tufted rug um, that she lays on for like one scene. (laughs) It's really used in like one and a half scenes. Like Trish like sees it later, but like barely. And like barely in the movie. And she's got all this time on it. I know. And I'm like, I would love that pentagram rug. It's a I would rug. use it wisely. You know, I'm, I'm a responsible. <laughs> I, you know, if I were a director, I really think about it. I'm like, I would do that with macrame. I would be like, we're having a macrame hanging in every single room in, in the house, in this, in this movie, there will be macrame potholders everywhere. There'll be macrame yeah. wall hangings. There will be like macrame cozies and macrame coasters and bookmarks and just shit like I would just macrame bags I would make everything you know why not I love macrame so much it's just so fun to do why not you know add it to my directorial process yes 100% it's my artistic statement they'd be like well why did you include so much macrame and I'd give some bullshit explanation of like (laughs) well the movie you know is about reconnecting with the earth and like earthiness and what's more natural than cotton and so like I mean here I am making all this Cotton macrame when really I'm just like, I'm just a little freak who likes macrame. That's all. I mean, it's like when you could pull a Leo's Carex when um, somebody was like, so what is the meaning of green in all your movies? And he just goes, no. <laughs> Me, anytime anybody asks a question about who I am, like, what I do. It's so ever. good. It's so, so, so good. Um, I Maybe he just I likes do... the color green, you know, that just exactly. happens sometimes. I would like to talk about the cinematography, which this is like so beautifully shot. I'm like it's obsessed, gorgeous, yeah. obsessed with that, obsessed with the rear projection in the car. Like it's so yep. kitschy and great. Um, in the Wikipedia, it like says like, he's an expert on like period cinematography. And I was like, Oh, what, what, what has this oh, man done? I can't wait um, to see. Um, and like, you know, he's done some like great fucking things. Jennifer's body, first of all. <gasps> wow. And then, and then we get some things like Aquila and the bee. Okay. And you're like, hmm, okay. Interesting. Um, and then like a bunch of movies that are like really random. Um, and then we get to his TV credits, which here we go. Um, so he did nine episodes of Big Love. Oh, wow. He did, he did like all of United States of Terra. Oh, wow. He did a couple of Mad Men, a bunch of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And then there's a TV show that started in 2013 that he did 14 episodes of. Are you ready for what TV show that is? It's smashed. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, Catherine McPhee is on The mess Singer right now with David Foster. It's so cursed. Absolutely It's deeply cursed. cursed. He does not sing. He just plays the piano and he just sits there and plays while she sings. And they're not attached to each other or anything. They're just wearing their own separate costumes. And he like does not speak except for his clip package or when they ask questions. It's very strange. I don't like it. Um, yeah. It's a no from me. So he got Catherine and her, you know, covert Republican, but not married (laughs) to David Foster, period. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's, it's such a wild filmography. And like, this is like one of the last films to like have an original camera negative on like 35 millimeter film. And the fact that like the same man is like, smash is so funny <laughs> yeah, that is very funny and it's also funny because this is such an homage to to cinema and to yes. horror movies and to the styles of old hollywood in terms of the way that things were shot you know everything is really static 
really yeah. stagey. Cause that's, I think something when people say they don't like old movies, you know, it's easy to criticize and stuff like that, but I kind of get it because sometimes I have trouble with older movies because of how yeah. static everything is. If everything is really still dialogue. Like we talked about his girl Friday, his girl Friday is the first thing. It's one of the only, you know, originators of like overlapping dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had to develop a whole new way to fucking record dialogue for that. Yeah. Um, but like, everything is so it's like a stage play. Like you feel like you're almost watching a stage play. It's like people come in, they leave the scene and you see them leave. It's like you get a close up. There's clear entrances and exits. Like it's yeah. Yeah. And the editing is also really interesting. It's really done in a way to like everything kind of lingers a little bit too long in the way that like old Hollywood kind of editing often was. Um, so, but it's good to get somebody who, you know, knows what they're doing on a normal film. And then they're having to then, reinterpret the old ways of doing things and it's also appropriate that this movie is the last one to get that special you know film treatment I guess yeah because it is an homage to that so it works even though you know it also worked on smash (laughs) also worked on smash but very funny I know it's so funny and I this movie is I I do like sometimes I'm always like a little bored by like stagnancy but I think that especially with this the colors in this yeah are so interesting and like every shot there's like so much happening especially like in her room mm-hmm. and like when like she's at the cabin with Wayne like there's so much to like take in while it's stagnant and it's great because like the production design is done well in the sense that it adds a lot of detail to the characters and like tells you a lot about them and but also that it is genuinely nice to look at. Like it's really mm-hmm. gorgeous. And it's like the kind of stuff that you want. Like I want my house to look like this. I want, you know, like the cabin. I was like, Ooh, this is a really nice cabin. I like I would live there. You know, that's really great. If I were her, I'd be like, okay, Wayne, gotta go. Bye. I'm keeping the cabin. Thank you very much. Like mm-hmm. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. You know, not because that's of his emotions, but because I want his cabin. That's what I would do. Oh, it was a great cabin. Although she did say like when Trish shows her her room, which is very garish in the most like witchy sort of, like if you were like design a room for a witch to like a 13 year old, this is the room that they would come up with, right? Like it's a little that, but it's still gorgeous. It's just very funny that she was like, it's exactly my taste. And it's the most garish room possible possible for a witch. Um, Love that. But yeah, it does and, uh, feel like my home. Like I'm like, oh, this is yeah. like my chaotic home. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, and I guess we can just talk about like what this movie is trying to do, what it's trying to say, what is happening. Um, actually, no, I take that back. I want to talk about Samantha Robinson before we dive into yes. the meaning of the movie because I think that will take up a lot of time. But Samantha Robinson is the lead actress for this movie. Her filmography is pretty bare. It's like she doesn't have a super, super long filmography in the way of television or film, but the two big things she's been in have been the love, Witch, and she was briefly in once upon a time in Hollywood as Ab- Abigail Folger, who mm-hmm. of course is one of Sharon Tate's friends. Um, and I also distinctly remember her being in the movie cam, which is a Netflix horror movie about cam girls. Um, now she is so interesting to me because I remember when this movie came out, it's 2016. We're still, we like Lana is not in her live, laugh, love era yet. Yeah. We had, we still had good Lana. Like, yeah. And 
let's be real though. That version of Lana was still quite questionable. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> still pretty questionable, but I remember. But not the as live, love, love. Yes. And I remember the love witch coming out and I remember so many people kind of consciously drawing a line between Lana and Samantha Robinson in this movie. And mm-hmm. part of me, the stupid part of me, the baby brained part of me was like, oh, like, did she cast her because she looked like Lana Del Rey? Oh, or was that intentional? But then I'm like, no, you dummy. Like the whole point is that Lana has always been about the 60s aesthetic and it's like everybody's that. that aesthetic. Yeah. She just likes that aesthetic. That's the vibe. It goes with her gangster Nancy Sinatra. She said that, not me. That is her questionable yeah. choice of words. That is. Um, that goes with her vibe. And, you know, Anna Biller is very much trying to recreate and emulate movies of the 60s here as well. And like the women in them. So, of course, they end up aligning. Right. And coincidentally, she just happens to look a lot like her anyway. You know, I mean, that's not really that hard. They both have very, you know, or like tiny little noses, nose, like small noses. Yeah. Yeah. And dark, long hair with a middle part, right? Like they could, I mean, feasibly you could go out into Los Angeles right now and just find three women on the street who look like, who looks like yeah. both of them. So there's that. Um, but I think at the time it was also like Lana doing it, you know, it felt like that was her genuine self. And that was like, that was very much just her vibe. And, you know, she was all about that glamour and, and all this stuff. And then it's like, oh no, you kind of look at it now. It's kind of interesting to see her in her very normie era where she's yeah. kind of like wears jean shorts and like flip-flops everywhere. I know. And it's very much not the persona she's portraying on screen, but also kind of adds an interesting layer unintentionally to this movie because it's like, <laughs> like Lana's entire thing And kind of the thing from the start is that like Lana's persona as an artist has always been tied to the way that she feels about men, the way that she views gender roles, the way that, you know, men are protectors and, and daddies and, you know, men to give her money and women are submissive and, and, you know, they're supposed to like, I don't know, lean, lay on a chaise dramatically with like a long, like marabou robe or whatever. Yeah. And I, I feel like this, like the love, which has to be one of her favorite movies if she's seen it, which would be funny. Cause she'd completely miss the point. <laughs> oh yeah. Like she wouldn't understand that. Like a lot of it is like a s- satirical commentary on on generals yeah. and performance of but gender she would take and, it yeah. at face value when elaine is like talking about how we need to please men are men. babies but yeah. also we need to please them and cater to yes. their every whim and like i women need to be submissive and all this stuff yeah no 100 <laughs> percent. that's like just it's very funny to me and i do i will say you know not to get stuck on lana for too long but i'll never forget when she was like i'm not a feminist and then we all kind of forgot and then it was like oh yeah like she's this way because <laughs> she's always been this way this isn't new this is just who she is shocking right but Samantha Robinson is great in this movie in terms of acting I know she's incredible a lot of people I was reading just like letterbox reviews out of curiosity to see what people were saying and there was a lot of people being like the acting this movie is so bad it's so good good. Blah, blah blah and I'm like I, you know, I can make arguments for some of the supporting characters not being incredibly good at their jobs, right. but also 
that would completely deny the fact that Anna Biller is very much going for a director or not director, very much going for a, 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 it would deny the fact that Anna Biller is very much going for performances that are stilted and awkward and strange because that was very much kind of the vibe of the sixties old Hollywood kind of movies, things like that. Like everything was a really stilted, very awkward. Like the way that people would perform, you know, in scenes, it was like, you know, they're putting on accents, transatlantic accents. They're not, you know, talking in the way that a normal human would ever conceivably talk. Like it makes sense when you have the awkwardness of the performances here. Now, some of them, like I said, you can argue that they're inexperienced versus actual direction. Right. But you can kind of tell who's doing what. And yes, like it's, it's pretty obvious. But for the primary actors in this movie, I'll give good performances. The actress who plays Trish, Samantha Robinson, obviously, the actor who plays Griff, you know. Wonderful. They give great performances. They're really in the vibe of the movie. They get it. They understand it. Samantha Robinson, of course, most of all, understands this movie better than anybody. And Oh, yeah. And it hinges completely on her. Like, if she has to be good because we're spending this whole time with Elaine, basically, and we have to be somehow sort of sympathetic towards her. She, yeah. we have to, we have to want to put her in the good for her cinematic universe. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that like, this is a performance that, you know, if so much of the movie is so stylized and so heightened, if this is just like a normal, straightforward, naturalistic performance, it's not going to give anything. It's not going yeah. to match what the movie is asking. Right. She has so you- to match the aesthetic. She has to match the costumes. It, like the energy has to be there. Otherwise it's like when the car shows up and I'm like, hold on a second. What am I watching? What is going on? When is this supposed to take place? I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. And apparently she chose her for the lead role because she thought she was quote, very poised and very self-possessed. And she had a particular quality to her. That's very different from most people nowadays, um, which I think is really true. I mean, I can totally read that in her performance. It's like, even if she's yeah. putting on a performance and really trying to, you know, match that 60s vibe it's like I believe that she is like a very specific kind of actress and that's just like her general vibe um and apparently they watch a series of classic movies featuring women with quote great sociopathic performance we need to get Um, we need to get that like I need the list list right now because I want to watch it and the two collaborated closely to develop the character of Elaine so that Robinson's own personality could shape the character. And after this workshop period, Biller rewrote parts of the script to readjust for their discoveries, which is a very Cassavetes-esque approach to screenwriting, yes. which I really like. And it's the reason why the performances in Cassavetes movies are always so good. It's because they're not improvised in the moment. No, yeah. but during workshop phases, he would rewrite the script to match either what they'd exactly said in the moment or something, you know, right. or rewrite it so that it would be some something that would sound like it would come out of that person's mouth. And that is why those performances always work in his movies. And the same thing is happening here. It's like a clear, yeah. a clear way to get your performance out of your lead to be even better is to shape it entirely around them. That is like Right. You know, you see their strengths, you see their weaknesses, you see what they're delivering. And you're like, okay, I want to hinge the entire movie around that because I know they can do that. And because what they're doing is good and it works. And I don't want to risk this, especially in a movie like this, where it's like, 
like we said, the performance has to be so specific in order to really sell the entire vibe of the movie. So it's like, if we're reshaping it around what Samantha Robinson's doing, then the movie is going to really work. Like that's just simple science, simple math. I can't even do yeah, math. It's sim- and I know that works. And it's so, it's so sad to me that Anna Belair has like never made another movie because I would like love to see the follow-up to this. Hopefully just, she will make another movie. I soon, know, but I just want to. She deserves to make another movie. I did read a little bit about making this movie. They had some trouble with crew. Yeah. Um, I didn't read too deeply on it, but it just appeared to be that like the crew didn't respect her and didn't respect the movie that they were making. And it was so bad that when they did reshoots, they hired new people entirely yeah. for these roles, which. You know, I don't know if there's any sort of extra controversy that went on while filming, if there was like tension, but I, you know, part of it is easy to imagine that, you know, the way that crew members, especially at a higher level on film sets often treat women directors, it's not really that surprising. You know, there's a level of like disrespect and like, you think you know what you're doing? I've been in the business X years. I'm a man. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. Let me do this for you. Like you're an idiot, like, right. Like that's something that happens a lot with women um, in the biz, whether it's television directing, film directing, doesn't matter. It's, it's a common occurrence. So wouldn't surprise me if a lot of it is absolutely just that, not to mention you're making a movie that is so like, so built upon like destroying these ideas of the way in which society sort of like codifies like gender roles and sort of deifies you know like women are women and men are men and there's no there's no deviation from that right meanwhile this movie is like this is the problem this is the entire problem and trish is like you sound like if you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy and she's like no men are men are superior men are babies too though like we have to like coddle it but also i can't be too powerful and that is like the thing that makes this movie so compelling is that it is a feminist narrative, but also its character is a narcissist and also on a constant battle to reclaim her own power as a woman, but also is fighting against this innate thing where she feels like she has to try her hardest to be men's ideal to get them to love her. There's like so many things fighting against each other in this movie um, that really sell that that final message, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, the entire thesis of this movie is that strict adherence to social, social expectations of gender performance and roles is like why everybody's so unhappy. It's why yeah. all the problems start happening. You got to turn to witchcraft to you know, get men to fall in love with you and treat them right. And what's so interesting is that like, like I said, her entire thing is that I have to be ultra feminine. I have to be the ideal woman. I have to be very passive. I have to let men have whatever they want. I have to let them feel like they're a man, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And she is so, you know, and the reason why, you know, we call her a narcissist is because she's so appearance focused. She is so focused on making herself as beautiful as possible. And that is also, you know, where she's derived a lot of value from men from is like her appearance. Um, But at the same time, the entire movie is about how she is having this sort of inner struggle of like, I am a witch. 
that's a powerful, very powerful. Thing. and she's a very powerful witch she she's is a powerful doing witch. these spells she's good mm-hmm. and so it's like three things one witches are hated in the world of the movie which is never fully explained but it just it tells you that like witches in this movie are sort of like i guess you could say like they're like the hippies of the film world you know yeah in a sense yeah um, it's like get these beatniks out of my backyard yeah so like her pursuit of like her pursuit of love with just like a really masculine man is almost impossible because it's like witches aren't liked there's that not to mention two as we said witches are powerful in this world she's constantly wielding her power to try and get men to love her which is completely incongruous with the idea of I have to be passive. I have to let the men do whatever they want. Right. Because that's not, you know, wielding power like that is seen as a traditionally masculine move. That's not, (laughs) that's not like the ultra stereotypically feminine sort of move. Um, Not to mention the fact that like, in a way, when she's doing all of this stuff, she's constantly, you know, looking for these men and trying to, you know, make herself small and pretty and dainty yes. and petite and she whatever. She has to be as feminine as possible. She has yes. to be as like mousy, quiet. She is just And then she's there. really sexy. Then she's like a sex, she's a sex pot. And then she's like little virginal, like, oh, like me, you know, I'm your fantasy, right? And it's like, She's using that primarily as a stepping stone for true reciprocity in her relationships with men in the sense that like, she believes that once she gets past this barrier and it's even said at one point by like her little witch friend, she was like, you use sex magic to unlock like his love potential. Yes. That's the idea, right? And she runs with that. Elaine runs with that concept. Yeah. And the idea is that like, also that she, I think she even says like, you like once you have sex with him essentially he won't be afraid of you anymore and then yes. that's when he'll open himself up to love right um and she's looking for that she wants the reciprocity but the problem is this man that she is supposedly looking for that meets, meets all of her criteria one does not exist but also there's the fact that you know the idea of true reciprocity in a relationship whether that's feelings of love or whatever is impossible in this movie because it's like if a true masculine man yeah. is going to reciprocate your feelings in that way, it's like, they might not value that in the relationship, right? Like a true masculine right. man isn't supposed to feel, he's supposed to be, you know, a provider and strong. rough. And yeah. And it's, it's so interesting. Like at one point she's like, you know, like I'm the love witch and I'm your ultimate fantasy. And she really plays into that every time you see her, like basically strip teasing. Like every time she's about to like sleep with a man and kill him, like she is giving a performance of undressing and it, it's so interesting to me. And she just says, you know, she's lying. She's like, I'm like, when she is like first approaching Wayne and like talking about like, oh, you look like you love nature. I love nature. I'm like, this little pale witch does not love nature. (laughs) She is on hinge lying for her life out there. That's literally, that's her. It's so interesting that she puts like all of this effort into the performance of like undressing yeah. herself in front of these men. I love and it. And like, it, it ties into the idea of her being this ultra desirable object, but it's like mm-hmm. the men don't respect her necessarily after that, you know, it's like Griff after they like have their whole thing together. It's like, he doesn't love her anymore. No. It's like, he's like, I'm bored of you. I'm tired of you. I gotta go. And then the other men, after they sleep together, they're too emotional and that freaks her out or, or they like go on this weird 
mental journey, you know, and it like freaks her out. She doesn't like that. She's bored by it, whatever. There's also the fact that like, what's interesting is, you know, tying into this idea that like being a witch is incongruous to what she's trying to do throughout this movie. She's trying to look for a guy, right? Um, There's the fact that like at one point, it's even stated in the movie that the witch trials in Salem were a result of essentially women's um, sexuality and agency being feared. Yes. And, and that's like very much, you know, the thing in this movie that is stating the problem. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right there. It comes out and says it, you know, even though it doesn't necessarily maybe immediately connect in your mind, it's at the back of your head though. It's like, okay, so women as witches are feared historically. That doesn't make them desirable already. And not to mention in this world, witches are not liked. It's like, this is just history repeating itself. She is putting herself in a position where she's not going to win. And not to mention the fact that like, she's constantly searching for a man who meets her every single little piece of criteria and and all of that, like I said earlier. And while also trying to be everything that she thinks that men want, and this is an an unobtainable thing. This is an unobtainable object. And like, as, as, you know, her witchy friends say like love spells are hard and she like kind of discounts that. And she's like, well, but I'm talented and I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. I can get through it. I'll figure it out. Whatever. Not realizing that it's like her inner, her two wolves that she's got inside her constantly fighting each other. Like the one part of her that once a man is going nuts because it's like, I want a man more than anything in the world. Right. This is what and I she, want. She's so upset. She leaves Wayne like screaming her name all night because she's like, no one ever comforted me. So why should I comfort him? I gotta go. And I don't like emotion because that doesn't make him a, an ultra masculine man. Yes. Whereas with Richard, the problem with him is one that he's Trish's husband. Two, she's like, well, he cheated on Trish. So that doesn't make him a good masculine potential you know future husband like my true love like he's just gonna do Mm -hmm. the same thing to me okay moving on and then griff the problem is that he is the only one out of the three that is naturally attracted to her she does not have to make a potion or do a spell or anything he just is like hey like you're hot i'm supposed to be investigating you but you're hot and i'm intrigued by you let's hang out and then he falls out of love with her just because he gets bored. Like that's it. He's like, and yeah, which not to mention happens. the crime stuff. Like he's right. like, you are a criminal, but like, but it's like a natural <laughs> progression of a relationship. And she like, can't handle that. <laughs> she she's like mad that he doesn't naturally want to love her anymore because he was supposed to be the one she had set all of her expectations on this one guy. And then he revealed his flaws just as the rest. And so because of that, he actually has to die at her own hands, which he does die. Of course, which, the other yeah. two, it's like, they're just they're just driven mad and by the spells and all of that yes and I do love him like her killing him and it like pans to the like painting of like the woman stabbing him I'm like how very gone girl I love it it's I mean it really is like the self-fulfilling prophecy right like that's yeah. essentially what's happening but um it's also worth mentioning that the reason why the men go kind of mad in the first place is that It's the idea of like, I think this is what the movie is trying to say is that in this world of the movie where men are men and women are women, you know, that's like the whole thing, you know, this is society. When the men are given a potion or a spell that 
causes them to feel like true love, eternal love, whatever you want to call it, it freaks them out because yeah. it is unnatural to them. So it's, it's yeah. driving home the point of the movie, you know, the idea that this unnatural thing is causing them to lose their minds because it's men are all very to be intrusive men. thoughts that they're like so scared of and it drives them to madness. Yeah. Because the men in this world are not supposed to feel emotion. They're supposed to just be providers and whatever. And that's all they're good for according to right. our protagonist. Which, you know, she, at w- one point she's like, you know, I should have known he's a Pisces. And that's like one of my favorite lines. Cause she can't yep. handle the water sign men. She can't handle their emotions because that's not becoming of a masculine man, right? Yeah. A traditionally masculine man. And in general, so much of her pursuit is, you know, like I, I did say it up top that it's about her reclaiming her power, but I don't think I really went into it, but basically the idea is that at the top of the movie, we find out that her husband, Richard went missing quote unquote. Yes. Which is key for, you know, code word for, she killed them. She killed them. Yeah. She killed them. And then later we hear a voiceover of like Richard saying that the house is a mess and she's a slob. And like, why doesn't she, you know, doll herself up for him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we also hear a voiceover from her dad, you know, that's like really gross and like, bleh. that's basically criticizing her appearance and weight as well. And when you have that in mind, you then become aware. It's like, okay, this is very much about her fighting to reclaim her power as a person, as a woman in this world that is dominated by men and does not treat women as first-class citizens. It treats them as second-class citizens. Yeah. And like I said, that's difficult when you are a powerful witch And that is fighting against your every instinct. You're like, okay, well, that didn't work out for me. You know, like being in this relationship didn't work out. It was an abusive relationship, Um, whatever. I think I need to just reform who I am as a person and that will fix everything. And she thinks that her way of reclaiming power is by becoming that submissive person, but it's not, you know, it really is. The ending is very much her reclaiming that power. Breaking yeah, the she cycle. realizes she's like, oh, this is what I was like meant to be doing this movie. Um, as Kylie Jenner once said, it's the year of realizing things. And this yeah. is like the movie of Elaine realizing things about herself. Mm-hmm. Right. She like is at first we see her like a little, like worried that her like wares won't sell at the witch store. And she, you know, she's so unassuming and just like this really pretty girl. And we see her, you know, enter the good for her cinematic universe and kill these men. And I love it for her. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting because that, that journey of her, like that she goes on throughout this movie is very much kind of almost mirrored by Trish once Richard is killed. It's like, yes, Trish, her landlady. Right. I mean, like Trish, like puts on the, she, I was like, okay, I would not wear my friend's lingerie. Like, I don't think that's, no, that's so a little weird. weird. That's a little strange. She like, puts on the wig. She's really, she is like, what's the movie that I'm thinking of where like the woman becomes her. It's like a horror movie. single white female. Yeah. 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 That. yeah kind of that. Yeah. No, it's, and cause that is like a literal, you know, thing where she's like, oh, well maybe if I assume this identity, you know, maybe things will change. Because Trish is the one who's like, you're poisoned by the patriarchy lady. You need to get your shit in order. This is wild. Like, yes. Like how are women supposed to be equal to men if like women are just serving men all the time? It doesn't make any sense. Make it make right. sense, sweetie. And 
And then like when Richard cheats on her, she has this whole moment where she's like, maybe if I'd been different, maybe if I'd catered to him all the time, maybe if I was more passive, maybe if I was this, that, the other thing, maybe things would change. She has the same sort of moment that, you know, as I said, Elaine has at the beginning of the movie, this, I'm going to be different now and that will fix all of my problems. But it's like, no, the patriarchy and gender expectations are your problem. What's also interesting is that Elaine as a character is so much given to fantasy, um, which I think really plays into the whole, like, I have to be this heightened feminine yes. version and she wants to find her prince, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also- the devil's weed on lock. She has got her yeah. stories down. She, she has her bases covered. But she's also a femme fatale. That's the thing. Oh, totally. And that is what's so great about this movie is that it takes the femme fatale trope and it does play with it. And then we talked about this on Bound. You know, femme fatale yeah. as a stereotype, as a trope, um, as a character is obviously, a misno- you know, derives from a misogynistic idea. You know, the idea that women's agency, sexual or otherwise, is threatening to men and not to mention the fact that like femme fatales in movies Yes, these women get to be mouthy, but, and they get to be dangerous, but it's at the expense of usually their life or something else in a movie. They, they don't get to be that way. They are punished by the movie itself. Um, And if they do get to exist, it's, you know, the idea is that it's a movie you're watching and this isn't real life. You're not going to be threatened by a woman like that in real life. There's no like real world consequences. And what's great is that like Elaine's trauma does inform her femme fatale behavior, but totally. she genuinely enjoys luring these men. It's oh, not she's just... having the time of her life. Like yes. she, even like when she's like going to lunch with Trish and like she, when she's like, oh, I'm in love. Like her face lights up. It's like genuine interest in what's happening. She, yeah. And she like genuinely wants a man, but she has a lot of fun doing it. And I think that's where the power thing comes back into play. It's like, she likes it because she gets to assert herself and it's the thing that she's fighting against the whole time. It's like, you know, you know, when, when, uh, Wayne is like crying over her, she's like, what a baby, like, man, you know, like I'm moving on, you know, and she's happy to go on and just like entice the next man. And she sets her sights on Richard immediately in the beginning of the movie. So she knows that she's going to go after him. Right. Yeah. And, um, is more than happy to carry out that plan regardless of, you know, being friends with Trish or whatever. And I love that. I love that she genuinely enjoys doing that and has a lot of fun with that. Um, but like I said, two wolves, two witches, really two witches within you. Then there's something really interesting to be said about, you know, because obviously this movie is talking about largely you know, gender roles as a whole, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so much of it is focused on the individual level when it comes to Elaine's character. And like, it's about her journey and the way that gender expectations and performance, you know, really inform her as a character. But it's also very much present in the way that Coven as a whole sort of exists. It seems more enlightened. It seems like the gender roles are, you know, very much not a thing there, you know, you would think, but it's not true at all. When we are given a deeper look at the coven, it's like, oh no, this is bad. This is not good. Yeah, like, like at first you're like, oh good. She's had this like found family moment. She's, she's found these like, like like-minded witches. And then you're like, oh no, 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 girl. 
girl, no, you got to leave ASAP. Run away. And the idea is that, you know, despite seeming enlightened and more equal on the surface, like you have the fact that Gayan is constantly, you know, he's constantly talking about how like women are goddesses and all of this stuff. But then at the same time, we'll lecture the women in the covenant about how they're untamable and how they're wild. And there's this female male polarity. And, you know, there's differences between men and women, but that's what, you know, but that's what makes men and women, right? Like, and that's what is so important, et cetera, et cetera, a bunch of bullshit, whatever. And there's also the fact that like, women have to doll themselves up and then like there's a whole sequence in that dance club where it's like the women have to learn the art of seductive dance in this this coven you know the idea is that they do this then men will give them what they want which is not any better than everything else that's happening in this movie yeah none of it's good but there's like a whole initiation ceremony where women are forced to basically have sex with gayhan um, and the consent of those ceremonies doesn't really seem it's, kosher. It doesn't seem yeah. like everybody's on the same page. It's questionable. It does seem very coercive. <sighs> and it, I mean, and it speaks to society at large, you know, and I'm yeah. also reminded a lot of other cults and, and things like that, where they seem very enlightened on the surface, but women in general are not treated with respect either. It's just the form that it takes is different. It claims yeah. to be enlightened, but it's just the same bullshit and different packaging. Yeah. And I think like, especially like, I feel like there's been so many like um, cult, like documentaries, et cetera, et cetera, lately. And I feel like this movie is like one of the best like commentaries on like cults, <laughs> like the past like seven years. Yeah, you get witchcraft to free yourself and you have power and you have purpose in this life, Elaine. But also like, sorry to say, you're still a woman. Like that's like very much what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Gender roles, you know? And it's like the only gender role I want to partake in is eating rolls. (laughs) That's a gender on them. That would be ideal, honestly. (laughs) That's how I have to participate. Like gender roles should just be that's you know roles with gender on them they should not actually be real gender roles maybe devil's weed is like included in there devil's (laughs) weed seems kind of fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah why not take a little bit you know have a good time um i also do want to talk before we get to like the summary of the movie yeah um i want to talk about the ending now i'm curious about your interpretation of that final shot and what's happening. I mean, I kind of talked about what I thought it was, but I, there's a little bit more to it that I would like to say as well. Yes. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go No, first? I just want you to say what you think and then okay. we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. I, <laughs> I do feel that like with, like with the shot, are you talking about like the, when she's like killing him is that or the no like, post killing him like okay. the final shot and what is Her. happening in yes and moments. she like she's like hallucinating basically yeah. I do think it's like a hallucination I think she is at this point where she has killed this man she yep. has gone girled him and yep. she's like oh shit wait I had all of these fantasies in my head of like what like a good um, woman is in this world. She's like, this was, I was supposed to, you know, have a ring on my finger at this Renaissance festival. Like, like this is, I was supposed to like get married here. And it's just like her, like kind of lamenting the fact that like, she's kind of ruined that moment. Okay. Interesting. Cause my interpretation ended up being that 
you know, because what happens is she's imagining this wedding sequence. That's not really a wedding from this medieval festival situation, which is basically just a front for her little cult or whatever, her little coven. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's like, it's like, they're like laundering money in that thing or something. I don't know what's going on, but um, he says he wants to marry her and then he kisses her and then leads her on horseback forward. And the thing about it is that um, she's smiling in the hallucination, but she's also kind of like smiling while thinking about it. Um, But also she, when the wedding sequence happens, there is the fact that both of them are on horseback together or they're on the same level together. um, And then more, you know, more equal. And then in this moment, she's the only one on the horse. So my immediate thought was that, and he's not speaking like after, you know, will you marry me? You know, or I want to marry you or whatever it is. It is. He says, you know, then he just leads her forward. There's like silence from him and silence from her. It feels to me very much like she's kind of imagining this idealized world where she gets both the love that she thinks she wants and deserves from a man who you know, is the guy that she wants, you know, he's hot. He likes her for her. He loves her genuinely. Cause that is what the one thing that she genuinely does want is love for real, but also she gets the power that she's seeking the whole time, you know, and that comes only after she stabbed him and she's broken this cycle of feeling dissatisfied with the men she's been presented and, you know, sort of having to tamp down her real yeah. true power and feelings and all of that to be ideal, right? Um, both can exist at the same time. Um, and it's interesting because it ends a literal cycle of violence in that yes. she kills him and it's done. We're done. There's going to be no more killing, presumably. And yeah. then at least for a moment after the movie's over. Um, But then there's also the fact that like now she's no longer fighting the two wolves within her, the one that's a witch and the one that's a pretty lady, right? Like they can exist together. She can be powerful and she can be, you know, beautiful and she can be all these things and experience love at the same time. It's a moment of clarity for her. I feel like I like to see it as a more hopeful ending. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm a, I'm a cynical person. <laughs> well, and I'm a very cynical person too, but I think when I think about it and I think about the way the rest of the movie reads, I feel like it makes sense. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's what they're going for, but I can't be sure, you know? And the problem is that she's killed a man and she's right. just been investigated and all of that. So it's sort of like, there's a brief moment where she gets to be her true self, but then you're sort of like, well, then it's probably going to start all over again in the sense oh, yeah. that detectives are going to come, come after her. Griff. Yeah. yeah. Like- it's definitely like it can't last forever but she can't know. hide all that blood where's she gonna clean she's bad at cleaning up as we see when she kills wayne she just she's leaves so all bad. the shit that she burned in her little witch bottle like she's so bad <laughs> she calls it a day yeah so it's like i like to think of it as like the a woman under the influence ending and in that it's like there is a brief reprieve from the violence and the pain and all of this and all of the anger and the shouting and all of that and it's like supposed to seem happy and hopeful, but you know, nothing has really changed. And in her case, it's society that hasn't changed in a woman under the influence. It's Nick 
has not changed as a person, has not worked yeah. to become a better husband to Mabel. So you just know that as soon as the movie ends, it's just gonna continue on. Yeah. That's like, that's the vibe I'm, I'm getting from it as well. If I really want to get into a more cynical territory with it, you know, but it's interesting to think about. And I, I love her acting in that moment. She has such a gorgeous face to begin with, but I love the way that she expresses herself in that and that hopefulness and that, that smile that she does. It's, she's stunning. It's, it's really a great ending and I'm oh, obsessed she's with fucking it. Incredible. I love her so much. I think she's so talented. I loved her once upon a time in Hollywood and I hope she does more. And in camp, she's great, but it's very funny because that's a movie that takes place in present time, obviously, because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but cam girls weren't really a thing in the sixties. <laughs> no, but she's like playing a normal like person in that movie. And I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. Like you should be in the 1970s and 1960s only. <laughs> like you should only be yeah. in period pieces. Like your face has not seen an iPhone and it will never see an iPhone. That's how I feel about it. It won't ever. So let's talk about just what's happening in this movie. Yeah. Beat by beat, right? You know? So to begin with, we got Elaine. She's a young, beautiful witch. And I didn't mean that like in a, well, you still love me when I'm young and beautiful, you know, beautiful and young, whatever. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Del Rey reference. Um, Is driving to California, Arcata, California, according to- Yeah, it's like, it's like, like, it's all takes place up north. They filmed it in Eureka which is like a very small town. I've like been to it driving through the state because I used to take a lot of road trips as a child. It's like <laughs> nice very small. theater. Yeah, it's very small, like just a small town up north. Yeah. And uh, the idea is that she's supposed to start a new life after her husband, Richard, or her husband's Jerry. Why do I keep calling him Richard? His name is Jerry. Richard is Trisha's husband. Richard is Trisha's husband and Jerry. They're all I, like the same name to me. Like I kept referring, I literally have referred to Jerry only as Richard throughout this and also have referred to Richard as Richard. So this will not be confusing for anybody, but it's completely no. okay. Yeah. But so she's ready to start a new life after her husband, Jerry, not Richard dies um, and disappears. Right. And it's of course implied that she killed him. Oh, and when yeah. she she gets Arcata. She's like, oh, I'm going to rent an apartment in a Victorian home. And, and it's owned by Elaine's mentor, Barbara, and kept up um, by its interior decorator and landlady, Trish Manning. Which is such a strange role to play. Like yes. you're an interior decorator, but you're also taking care of the place. Yeah. I was like a little confused the dynamic at first because it almost sounded like Barbara was going on vacation. She was just going to stay there while she was out. But then it's like, oh, I guess she just like still lives there. And yeah. And she's just, she's also like the landlady. It's like they're both landladies in this case. I don't know what's yeah. going on. But, you know, we open the movie with her driving, rear projection, all of that. You can tell she's nervous about the cop that like ends up pulling up behind her. She's chain smoking, just like, classic like woman on the run kind of imagery apparently the opening was very much inspired by the birds opening and we hear her say very early on in this movie i just wanted to note this because of course it's a great quote according to the experts men are very fragile i would (laughs) love to know who the experts are (laughs) um I think being a woman and existing in a world where men also happen to exist makes you an expert. So true. I think <laughs> she's like, it's like on Yahoo Answers 
when somebody would like answer a question and then source would be me. Yes. And we get, of course, like the shot of the house, very much a witch's house. I mean, it's oh, not going to be better than that. So witchy. It's great. And then people are shocked there are witches in town. I'm like, have you seen the fucking house? I know. I'm like, hello. Of course there's witches in town. The witch hating culture is so funny to me. Big there's Neptune even like a whole, vibes. there's a whole store she goes to that is entirely catered to witches. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like, of course, witches are here. They live here. That's like, they're, they're not living their lives in secret. Like they're out and about. They, they're girl bosses. They are girl bossing all over this town. And it seems to be pr- a pretty successful shop. It is. She goes in, she sells her wares. She makes little potions and shit and she calls it a day. But so she meets Trish and Trish, of course, opens with, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, um, I didn't mean anything. I'm married and everything. And Trish literally goes, no homo, five seconds. Yeah, this movie. she really is like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lesbian, I promise. No, I, I really like men. I'm married to a man. Men, men, yeah. men, 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 men. Yeah, it's no, all about she's, men. She's basically singing the two and a half men theme song. You know what I mean? Like, then there's the fact that after seeing her new lavish room that Trish has painstakingly decorated herself, Trish takes Elaine to a tea house. And that's when Trish and Elaine meet up with Richard, who's yeah. coincidentally there. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And she's like, and Trish is like, this is for women only. <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry, I just wanted to get lunch with you. He just waltzes it. You know what? Men, men would do that, right? Men would be like, yeah. oh, this tea they room, go to this it's tea not room made for, for women only. Yeah. It's like when they were like, <laughs> they're like, they Alamo Draft House is like, we will have women only screenings of Wonder, Wonder Woman, which I think is stupid. Like, it's like, who gives a shit? Like, that's yeah. such weird corporate pandering. Yeah. Pandering, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my favorite was when people would respond, oh, well, there are screenings for men. And then they'd be like, the all clown screenings of it. It's really funny. Honestly, tea is, I, this might be controversial, but tea is for everyone. Drinking it, spilling um, it. You know that TikTok audio that's like, what's your gender again? Like, this is for girls only. That's like <laughs> what this tea room does. God. I, I will tell you though, um, the harpist in this scene, horrible wig. One of the worst wigs I've ever seen. Terrible wig. <laughs> Terrible. Like, and there are some bad wigs in this movie. And I understand they're working on a budget. There's some difficulty. Like Samantha Robinson's wig that she wears on the back of her head works because it is just like adding on to the volume of her hair that already exists. You don't see the front of it. It's not laying across her forehead. Um, however, when Trish wears it, it is the worst wig I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's bad. so bad. Sub party city. And then the harpist wig, I would say is just a step below that, which is saying a lot. Yeah. It's, it's purchased on Amazon. Kim Zolciak Bierman, season one of Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like every time she smokes a yes. cigarette, you're like, she's going to light that thing on fire. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is also when we get to hear Elaine really espouse like her whole, or espouse? Espout. Espout. <laughs> she is looking for a spouse. She is, she's trying to get a spouse. So, I mean, it's fitting. But we hear Elaine say, her philosophy on men and what she's here to do. Basically, she says several lines that I've written down because I think they're worth noting. We Amazing. may be grown woman, grown woman. We may, <laughs> I've 
literally, my let's, brain is let's get that clean. Real let's time. get that clean. <laughs> we may be grown women, but underneath we're just little girls dreaming of being carried off by a prince on a white horse. And then she says that she's found the formula for finding a perfect man. Um, she's been studying parapsychology and that if she would have had it earlier oh, yeah. than quote, Jerry would have never left me. Um, and then, you know, which is the idea that like, she had to be this perfect woman. She had to understand every single one of his whims to be lovable, which is not true. And then of course the day he left me was the day that I died, but then I was reborn as a witch. Um, men are very easy to please as long as we give them what we want. So very short thesis statement on Elaine's character as a whole, which is basically she's constantly searching for the unachievable fantasy. She's using this heightened femininity, passivity, and like her new powers in order to find the true love that she's looking for, believing it to be one out there. And it totally possible to find exactly how she wants it. And also in fact, love is everything she wants. She's got a long list. She's got a long list. And she's checking it twice. Much like Santa Claus. <laughs> she's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Yeah. And if they're too nice, it's a no. She actually works opposite how Santa Claus does. If you're naughty, you get a lump of coal, right? But in, in Elaine's world, if you're naughty, that's more preferable to, to be nice. Yeah. Then, of course, after this point, we see her make a potion. It looks like, like I don't know, Sherwin-Williams and sea glass blue or something. And she starts her little business. We see her at the potion shop. Hand-tufted rug comes into the scene. She lays on it in this incredible sheer black look that I'm obsessed with and says, you know, goddess needs to send me a sweet, handsome man to love me, um, which is me every time I log off you know, I, or I decide to log on to the apps, right? Oh, I re-downloaded the dating apps after re-watching this. And I was like, I don't want to get into what that says about me. Meanwhile, I'm like, I don't want to touch a dating app right now. No, thank you. <laughs> and it's like, I would honestly do the same if it meant I never had to like get onto Hinge and read stupid responses yeah. to anything ever again. It's exhausting dating is a stupid activity and no person should ever do it it's bad no good not very fun yeah then she ends up coming across wayne who's a college professor he's talking to some girl in a park and she stares at him and does this intense little witch eye thing which is incredible close-up of her eyes oh it's so good gorgeous great looking shot and basically hypnotizes him to come over to her and start talking to her he immediately is enthralled by her because she's you know she's gorgeous she's wearing an incredible outfit who wouldn't want to talk to her right oh yeah like she's the hottest person in this town (laughs) and he's like do you want to come up to my cabin it's a few hours away and so they go up to his cabin and she gets him to drink a concoction containing hallucinogens and the two end up having sex. He becomes really emotional and clingy. And Elaine's he's, like, I don't like this. Fully crying. And she's like, gotta go. She's like, I'm gonna sleep on the couch to get away from this man. Um, and then he dies the next okay. day in his sleep, and she ends up burying the body along with a witch bottle containing her urine and a used tampon. And she burns her little rainbow lined like Jacket. slip. And I'm just like, girl, why didn't you? you know, put that somewhere. Like, 
obviously there somebody's gonna find his body at some point the idea of like meeting a guy in a park hypnotizing him and then being like yeah i'll go two hours away to your cabin to cook dinner for you is so exhausting to me like the idea of doing that just the longest the longest first date ever oh god could never be me can we just like can i like hypnotize you to go to the coffee shop like please is that not good enough that says how committed she is to like being like ultra submissive housewife I'm gonna go cook dinner for you after driving two hours it's like no fuck that no thank you yeah sorry you know I I also love like when she lists off what's in the drink and he she says hallucinogens and Wayne is like (laughs) he thinks that she is like the funniest most clever girl she's she's so kid like wow she put hallucinogenics like she's so cool it's and he tells her she's not like the other girls yeah she's she no really games gets no agendas which is very funny considering she's poisoned him <laughs> like fully she has an agenda but my favorite is when she tells him that the first time and he's like wow baby you're crazy <laughs> oh that's my elaine yeah he's like really into that he's like he's yeah so into drug it. me baby it's so funny he he is like simping for her so hard he will let her do anything and also it's really interesting the idea of like her making a potion in the first place um versus like the really violent act at the end of the movie where she physically stabs him um griff it's i always think of like how a lot of women in yield in times in order to get rid of their husbands or to fix the problem of their husbands um, would poison them and they would do it slowly over time. And that was like very much considered to be like a woman's weapon or whatever, you know, because men more often than not, just, you know, if they want to get rid of somebody, they're going to commit a more violent act. You know, if we're using, I'm not saying this is how this is. Obviously everyone's capable of violence. Everybody commits violence. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there's not a statement on that, but I'm saying that like, if we're using the time, in which this frequently happened, it's like interesting to think about men enacting violence in very physical ways and brute force and all of this. Whereas women are like, I'm going to slowly poison you to death to get rid of you. And one, because it's less detectable, but also because if you think about it, it's like, it's easier to get away with. And not to mention a low key, a little bit more sadistic because you're simply doing it over time, you know? It's true. Phantom thread, am I right? Some mushrooms, baby. <laughs> honestly, honestly, Elaine would thrive oh my God, in a would... phantom thread scenario. Oh my God, she would find it so romantic. She would need a Reynolds Woodcock in her life, honestly. Yeah. She would go oh my full God. phantom thread. She would love that because one, she gets That's to wear fashionable genius. clothes. Oh my God, and he and he thinks that he's better than everybody. Yeah, and then and then she controls him poisoning him with mushrooms and then it's like oh but and he likes that he's into that like he kind of gets his kicks off with that you know it's like yeah. ooh, i'm being poisoned i'm submissive to my lady you know i finally am not in control of one thing in my yeah. life like i'm i'm not you know i'm letting go of control because it reminds me of when i was a child and my mother would mother me and like i'm really yeah. into that it's like wow <laughs> we cracked this movie wide open we really did that's the sequel. Hey, Anna Biller, like I've got a sequel for you. Hook up with PTA. Let's go. We also get the line. I'd like to come back as a cat. I've been so depressed since my cat died. I was, I rewatched this. I was like, wow, that's Shelby. That's, that is me. 
Yeah. That's 100% me. It's always me. I'm always thinking about stuff like that. Yes. Um, so then after this, we get Elaine going to the club where she used to dance. And we meet members of her coven, including Barbara, her friend, um, and Gahan, who leads the coven. Um, and basically, we get some more of this patriarchal talk where it's like men can't handle their emotions too well. And that the reason why Wayne freaked out was because the sex slash love got to him. Right. right. And they caution her against choosing the love spells because they're really powerful and they can go awry. And she and they those two twins come over. That yeah. always like kills me. Like those twins are so funny to me. <laughs> and the town we see the town being hostile to witches because when they find out because at first you're watching you're thinking oh it's like a witch club right no it just happens to be frequented by witches and they get away with it because they use their yes. little dance sexy dance magic to like entice yeah. all the men and so of course that keeps them busy and employed and all of this stuff and we get a little bit of like. Barbara's starting off by saying that the history of witchcraft is interwoven with a fear of female sexuality um, and mentioning, you know, obviously the witch trials. So true. The pigeonholing of women into hyper-specific roles, like mothers, wives, whores, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Gahan also saying that women's emotions and intuitions are seen as illness by men, which, you know, you're like, okay, we're kind of on an interesting track here. We're critiquing all of that. And then it, once again, veers Derailed. hard into patriarchal expectations, you know, it's like, but rather than acknowledging this as a societal problem to be fixed or changed, it's like, we're doubling down. It's like, oh, the differences between men and women exist and we can't change it. So like, we have to work around it and you just have to accept it as it is. And we're going to further feed those patriarchal expectations. Yes. Why do we have to teach them? We already teach them so much. We do. We really do. And then Trish has to go to a furniture convention. She's, oh gosh. <laughs> she's, she's gotta go. She's gotta go to Dallas. She's out of there. Yeah. She's out. I gotta go. I gotta go like tough to rug or whatever. Um, and she decides to seduce Richard during this time period um, because he's married and therefore he cannot obsess over her. Right. It's yeah. not going to go wrong. Like last time. Now, of course, that doesn't quite work out because after they have dance sex, was too sexy. Yeah. He's he loses his her. mind. Yeah. Very much so. And he so, becomes so obsessed with her that he abandons uh, Trish. Afterwards. Yeah. The sequence where they have sex um, or where she's seducing him is really great. It's really well shot, really gorgeous. Samantha Robinson is of course, sexy dancing in a way Um you know, that doesn't match the music playing, which I think is very funny, um, yet unintentional, yes. <laughs> but she looks incredible. She's really selling me on this idea, you know, and she's fantastic. I love her yeah. in this role so much, but she, you know, and this is when we get the voiceover about her being a failure as a wife and all of this stuff. And, you know, we also see her further sort of you know, trying to play at, give men whatever they want in the sense that she's yes. validating his stupid ass thing about like being turned on by flying or whatever. So dumb. And and going on and on and on. And, and it's at this point I wrote in my notes, Elaine is really a loved you more than those bitches before ass bitch. <laughs> not, like not that's her Megan. entire thing. She's like, yeah, I'm going to give him whatever he wants. I'm going to listen to his every thought. you know. No. Unfortunately, true. 
the fact that Megan McCain tweeted that multiple times, um, you know, that is her version of Cory Booker tweeting my wife coffee. coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And then of course he freaks out and that's when we get, I should have known he's a Pisces after Richard. Uh, Which is out. iconic. <laughs> and then Wayne goes missing. We get the police officer storyline yes. with Griffin or Griff. I guess his name's just Griff. I called him Griff in because, you know, every Griff is a Griffin usually. Yeah. Um, like I'm wait, sure that's his full name. Is this a square rectangle situation where it's like every, like rectangles are a form of square, but not every square is a rectangle. Oh no, don't. don't I might be wrong about that. It might be reversed. I can't, I can't do that to my brain right now. I I can't. But so Griff goes to investigate, discovers Wayne's body, um, discovers Wayne's body, finds the witch bottle and he goes to question her. And my favorite though, is he's like, (laughs) yeah, he goes to the store. Well, first of all, he has to smell the witch bottle to determine if it's a witch's bottle, but like, he's acting like he's also an expert. And I'm like, how are you an expert if you have to smell the witch's bottle? Like, baby, that's like, like, baby, that's pissed. Like, that's what that is. Like, that should tell you exactly what you're looking at. There's a used tampon in there as well. What do you think the yellow wick liquid's going to be, sir? But, you know, she, Elaine made a point while she's doing that used tampon that, like, men have never seen a used tampon. So that is true. That is true. That's a fair point. I forgot about that line. But yet, he knows it's a witch's bottle. So maybe he's yeah. used to seeing, maybe he's used to seeing used tampons in that context. I don't I know. And not, you know, and then of course he's like, he's like carrying the piss bottle around this entire movie and showing it and being like, is this a witch's bottle? What's the deal here? Yeah. Um, he comes over to question her and she's got like a whole chemistry lab going on. And he's not she like, is hmm, doing suspicious. some shit. Yeah. She's doing some <laughs> shit. He's like, hmm, she might be a suspect. I don't know. I'll think about it later, right? Yeah, and he's he's busy. <laughs> he ends up falling in love with her initially and is intrigued by her and refuse to refuses to sort of believe that she's capable of killing people. Oh yeah, when least. his partner like offers up some evidence, he's like, "No." He ends up, you know, going with her on horseback. They look like Ralph Lauren models, by the way, in this moment. Where they're on horseback, they're wearing all white. Yeah. Like a hot couple, like two really hot people just yes. like being gorgeous. They're, they're like horse. also like maybe in like a perfume ad, like yeah, vibes. fully. Maybe like um what song would be playing in the background? Like what's a good sweeping Wildest room? Dreams by Taylor? Yeah, Swift. Wildest Dreams is like playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um Taylor's version, of course. Of course, Taylor's version. And yeah, we're living for it. You know, and yeah. I would get the sample in my Ulta order, of course. Yeah. Exactly. Even though I asked for a skincare sample, Every but time. it's fine. I, I put it in my past. I don't think about it anymore. <laughs> and they, they go to this like weird little Renaissance fair and they end up having a little mock wedding. That's like staged by members of a yeah. He's like, Oh, you know, these people. It's so funny. It's so funny. He really just goes along with that. I'm like, you're so dumb. And it's also funny because I, we also forgot to mention that she's like, Oh, I, how do I know you? I know you from somewhere. He's like, Oh, I think I know you from somewhere too. And she's like my tarot card. I pulled this specific card, which means yes. that I would find my true love. And she's like, this is definitely the guy. And I'm like, how convenient. That's the man literally investigating you for murder. Yeah. And they have their little wedding and it's supposed to be this like great, happy moment. 
but really what's happening is that there's this voiceover where he says that you know, he's not, he doesn't feel love because he needs to be tough. Love is soft and weakness and men can get destroyed by it. And basically that the more you get to know a woman, the less you feel about her because at first she's this object of mystery and fulfills fantasies. And then as it continues, flaws become apparent and they stop caring. And Elaine has a voiceover about, you know, it being fireworks and loving his imperfections. And the more you know a man, the more you love him. And it's supposed to show this very clear difference in the way that men and women are expected to express emotions. Like, like Griff sees having a relationship with another person a means to having children and that's it yes. continuing it's his quote, legacy yeah it's not even about having a family it's about continuing his legacy which yeah. he pretty much says um family would imply that he has emotions about you know wanting to love other people and caring but for he doesn't and- no, he's just a hard-boiled detective. That's his entire personality, right? And Elaine, meanwhile, on the other hand, is like, I think I found my destiny. This is like the one person I've been looking for. He's perfect. He's everything. And yes. I'm allowed to express these emotions because I'm a woman, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I just, in general, I love the way that this movie really just takes on the ideas of, of patriarchy and gender roles and all of that. And I love how, clearly exemplified it is in this moment um in particular yes. and you feel bad for Elaine too because you're like well maybe she maybe she has found love right even though she hasn't really learned her lesson maybe she's found and then love. he just like is a it's like man. yeah and he falls out of love with her because well he, that's what he, just, he doesn't have any interest in her anymore yeah. whereas the other and two his- it was like a great act of like you know, we're losing our minds because potions and witchcraft and all that stuff. It's like made our brains turn to goop, you know, because we were yeah. forced to experience love. And like, and we find out can't feel Griff's, it. Griff's partner who he like wants to ignore, like reveals like, you know, her first husband died of a drug overdose. Do- Hello. Now I can't speak <laughs> a drug overdose, even though he is not like a drug addict or anything. Like his family was like, he's never taken drugs. And like, he was like, Wayne died of a heart attack because the devil's weed. Yeah, exactly. The devil's weed. (laughs) And then we get like, Trish is like losing her mind because Richard doesn't give a fuck about her anymore. Yeah. And he like gets really mad when she, he's like working and she like tries to interrupt him. Yes. Terrible. I do like the shot where it's revealed that he's dead and like Trish oh, yeah. discovers him because you get the three yes. angles of her screaming, which is always oh God, a great trope in a horror movie um, yes. from, from an early period, especially it's great. Um, and then they go to tea again and she tries on a ring that Griff gave Elaine during their mock wedding and she forgets to return the ring to Elaine, which is important to later, but there's also the then fact she'll go into her house. Yeah. Yes. We get the fact that like, this is where Trish starts being like, I tried so hard to please him. I wasn't yeah. the type of woman he desired. And it's like, this is the moment where she's like reconsidering. She falls, she falls into the Elaine's, you know, Elaine I have trap. to be the perfect. Yeah. She has to be the perfect person. And then it's like, you know, she goes into Elaine. Well, you room. forgot the part where Elaine responds to oh, yes. her being like, I've lost the man that I loved. My life is in shambles. And she's like, well, how are you doing? And then she goes, Trish, I'm in love. He's yeah. the one, you know, it's very funny. I'm like, damn. 
read the room girl read the room <laughs> which is even funnier because she's the one responsible for richard dying and like trisha's just gone on this whole thing about how like she would kill the woman who did this to richard or whatever and like who he cheated with if she if she saw her whatever <laughs> and yeah. she's just like <laughs> anyway, anyway sorry to hear all about here's that this. yeah um i'm really happy i'm in love i'm doing great um i've never been better <laughs> Yep. It's incredible. And then, so Trish goes to her apartment. Yep. She's like, I have to return the ring while she's there. She sees all of the witchy things, all of the shrines, the, shrines, the dead lovers, the dead men. Yes. She sees a picture of Richard with Elaine. And loses- she's like prancing around the room in her lingerie. Yeah. And yeah right. Like we wig. talked about it. Like she's like fully in Elaine cosplay. <laughs> and then Elaine uh, like walks in and the two fight because Trish is like, fuck you. What did you do to my husband? Yeah. You know, and I also like to think of that fight as being like, if we're going more literal with interpretations, it's like almost like Trish's belief system versus Elaine feels, you know, it's like this like physical manifestation of Elaine's inter- internal struggle. It's like, yes brought physically to life um and then we have elaine going to the cabaret to meet griff who confronts her of the deaths of we get her people trying to burn the witch it's full witch trials out here she's speaking out loud about being a witch Um, yes and so then he has to like sort of rescue her even though he's just basically been like uh there's dna i'm gonna arrest you yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm gonna arrest you and she's like oh but then he like helps her and then they go back to her apartment and you know, Miss Elaine, you know what she does? She wants to poison him. She wants to give him a yeah. potion to change him, right? And he's like, I'm not drinking that. He drops it on the floor. And One of the only she, smart things he's done. Yes. And she realizes that he was correct when telling her that no man can ever love her enough. She like freaks out. She grabs her little dagger and stabs him in the heart. Um, you know, life has imitated art essentially with her literal painting. Because by the way, she is not only a girl boss and business owner, she's also a painter. She is creative. Yes. And of course that painting matches exactly what she's done. Yeah. Um, and then we get the ending that we talked about earlier. And, but before then also it's worth mentioning that like before she stabs him, she like becomes frightened by him and sees his head as a skull. Oh yeah. She um, like loses her mind. And she sees a vision of all the other men she's killed. Like, is this like a harbinger of like her own downfall and death? If she doesn't kill him, does the cycle continue? Like what's being said here? Um, and then of course she's happy with the final vision and image that she's seeing as she clutches the dagger to her chest I also do want to mention, because we forgot to mention this, um, the twins show up again and they're like dancing on stage. Oh, yeah. And the one bar worker is like, who are these new girls? They're not good, which is exactly what I was thinking when I was watching that. These girls are not going to dance. (laughs) No, they're, they need to, they need to get work on their like, like sex magic through dance for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Also some final statements that sort of emphasize Elaine's journey. Elaine says that men make women work so hard for their love because they refuse to just love women for themselves, which is her finally realizing, Hey, this is kind of fucked up. I've been in a bad way. I like haven't understood, you know, like everything's actually a lot more, you know, things are more fucked up and not ideal. And I've been lying to myself. Um, Yeah. 
And she does mention that she literally reclaimed her body and power through witchcraft. And she takes what she needs from men versus the other way around. And that is, you know, her literally being like, I have reclaimed my power. I'm a witch. Great. (laughs) Yeah. And it's fucking great. I love this movie so much. Yep. And, you know, that's the end of the movie. That's the love witch. That's the love witch. Love witch. I rented it from the library to watch on DVD. Very exciting. I watched it on IMDb TV. One of those, yeah. Yeah. It's available on a ton of different services, though, so there's that. Yes. Very accessible. Yes. Now, it's time for you to do What the Plot. I'm very excited because you are guessing a movie I have seen, and I saw it recently. Mm -hmm. The movie is called Demon Seed. It is from the 1970s, and it stars one Julie Christie. Okay. I was, I was going to say that it was like a complete remake of Rosemary's Baby. Like that was like my first guess, but being, cause Rosemary's Baby was like in like 68. So this was like pretty soon after. So hmm, I will okay. look at the exact year, 1977 okay. directed okay. by Donald Camel or Camel. I, I'm so sorry to that man. He only um, directed five movies and one of them was a movie he co-directed with Nicholas Rogue. Okay. So, so I don't feel like they would do like a Rosemary's baby situation so soon after. So what I'm going to go for is, um, it's like in like an abandoned, like there's like a really like haunted cemetery in this like very small town. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, there's like these weird things. <laughs> just dropped a pen on the desk (laughs) there's there's like uh like little like um like plants that like pop up out of like graves and like they immediately like shrivel up and die Mm -hmm. um and it's like causing like chaos in this town it like moves past the like cemetery and they have to figure out you know what it is and they bring in experts and someone says no this isn't like any normal plant it's a demon seed (laughs) And so then they have to have like an exorcist come in and like, you know, um, what I assume what they find is like, there's one grave there. That's like, you know, some evil spirit that is like corrupting all of the like Mm -hmm. different seeds of the earth. Um, and they have to defeat it. What is Julie Christie's role in this? I'm just curious. Oh, I believe that she is like the groundskeeper of the cemetery. Okay. Maybe she like was driven to it after her husband died and she yeah. had nothing else going for yeah, her like, kind of a situation. Yeah, she, yeah, she's like just in the middle of nowhere, just like grieving. Yeah, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you went very literal with Demon Seed. Mm. Um <laughs> Actually, you were not far off with it basically being a Rosemary's Baby riff. Oh, wow. Okay. But here's the thing. So I discovered this movie when I was looking through 1970s movie posters, because that's what I like to do. I like to look at movie posters from that era. It's my favorite era of um, design in regards to posters. 60s, obviously close behind. Um, but I really like the Demon Sea poster. It's a poster that works really well. It's really effective. Um, right even though it doesn't necessarily tell you 
what the movie's about entirely. You do know oh, looking at it. Okay. It's a horror movie. You know that like something weird is happening. Not to mention, I believe on the poster, it says Julie Christie Julie carries, Christie carries the, the, demon the demon seed. Yeah. So, and there's also a further tagline, fear for her underneath. Um, you know, I do. Julie Christie is married to this man who's a scientist who okay. creates Proteus, which is a supercomputer. Um, oh, AI Rosemary's baby. With okay. an artificial intelligence. And he he has, when he initially is introduced, he's sort of a, a Hal figure from 2001 okay. Space Odyssey. That's very much what they're also kind of trying to ape at, right? And they are like, we want you to do, if I remember correctly, they wanted him to do like, to, to involve him in environmental like drilling, something like stuff like that in the Arctic or something. Okay. There was something going on that he did not like though. It was environmental based. He's like, why are humans like this? Basically a classic, you know, like, why are humans doing this? Yeah. I'm a computer. I don't, I, you know, I'm new, but I don't get this. And he didn't want to follow along with what they wanted. So he's kind of a rebellious computer and he's way too smart, which is a problem. Um, They thought he was going to be the perfect little computer that they could do whatever they want. Okay. Now here's the rub. So Julie Christie is married to the sleep scientist and they are estranged. They have a difficult relationship because their child has passed away, I believe of leukemia at a pretty young Mm -hmm. age. And she still lives at home though. And their house is filled with like cameras and technology like she can ask robots to do anything for her right oh wow smart home smart home yes and proteus is basically um if i remember correctly placed in their basement in some capacity or is Mm. you know something like that and essentially what ends up happening is he becomes obsessed with julie christie he watches her all the time through the cameras he can do that shit you know and the idea is then that he's like well you're gonna bear my demon computer child oh computer okay it's hard like he traps her in the house it's very unpleasant not great but bad news she ends up having this baby i'm not gonna spoil the ending or i'll cut it out because i'll just tell you because you're never gonna watch this movie yeah 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 I forgot to mention the part where Proteus wanted to transfer his, the reason why he's so obsessed with Julie Christie is he wants to partially transfer his consciousness as an AI into a being that she then bears. That's like kind of the idea. Men don't deserve rights. (laughs) Well, and here's the thing though. There is like a reading of it that can be like, because it's a genuinely terrifying movie and it's freaky and it's whatever. There is a reading of it that can be feminist. Hmm. She is, you know, it's a horrifying thing. That is the thing. We recognize this as being her having her agency taken away from her. Her right to her own body is taken away from her. I think I would really like to see this movie personally, like, written by a woman at least like a remake of it would be rewritten by a woman would really drive home the idea of like 
the horror of losing your agency as a woman yeah. being trapped in this situation. Also the insidious, insidiousness of AI obviously would be further highlighted. And for directorial style, I would like to see something not dissimilar to like Possessor, like the way that Brandon Cronenberg makes right. that movie look and the way that he directs that. I, I like the look of it and the feel of it. I think if you do that with this, it would be a really compelling remake. I'm just saying. Call I, me up Blumhouse. Yeah. What shall we, let shall we do it? You can find us on social media at blessed pick on Twitter and at blessed.picture on Instagram. Um, join our discord. Come talk to us um, about demon seed and Shelby's brilliant revival. I can't speak anymore. I lost <laughs> remake. <laughs> it's like how we all, how we call everything a cinematic universe now because Marvel has rotted our brains. So yeah. Much. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's fine. It's okay. Um, And um, if you liked this episode, recommend us to your friends and family. You can get us anywhere you find your podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast. Um, Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And, you know, share this with the witches in your life that need a reminder that love spells are not always the best choice. Um, and I'm the love witch, your ultimate fantasy and your ultimate fantasy is in fact, a girl who enjoys watching videos about theme park attractions and pimple extraction videos. And I'm, I'm your love witch. The ultimate fantasy is I'm an astrology girl who watches too many Dove Cameron videos on YouTube. (laughs) Thanks. Something else Pitbull did that was absolutely chaos was he was like, hey guys, do you know what my favorite decade is? I'm like, no oh, response. No. He's like, it's the 80s. Here's a Bon Jovi cover, sings three lines of a Bon Jovi song, and then switches back to regular <laughs> Pitbull. But what Bon Jovi song was he singing? I couldn't even make it out. Honestly, it was honestly chaos. Shut through the dolly. <laughs> it was like so chaotic. <laughs>